I stopped listening to music that I felt was sexist and toxic when I was 15 years old. I was I was alone, you know, because nobody was making that protest when they were that age, because that was all the music that was around. You know, like the 90s was like the critical era of like, we're going to share you sexually and all these things, you know, like that was like the pinnacle of this music culture. And so we were like, we got to fight that. that. That paints the wrong message of who we are as a people. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Shalom, salam, everyone. Welcome back to See One Beautiful Soul. This is Barbara Heller, and I have the distinct honor of hanging out with you through your ears. And I thank you for being here and sharing this time with me. Hopefully by the end of this episode, like all the other ones, you will feel a little more inspired, a little more spirit in your step as you step out into the world. I had this word kind of speak through me this week in one of my clubhouse rooms uh, in the C1 Beautiful Soul Club of Clubhouse. And I said the word blessings as if there is a blessing in every lesson that comes through us. This episode is no exception. I found so many blessings in listening to the author, artist, poet, Joshua Silverstein. You will enjoy him. I enjoy him so much. And please check out the now award-winning set of music videos that we've done together. You can easily find it in my Linktree link or on barbheller.com under the URL Gold page. You can just go to my Instagram right now at Barbie Heller, B-A-R-B-I-E-H-E-L-L-E-R. Click on the link in there. It's a Linktree link. And within the Linktree, you'll see URL Gold playlist or you can just go to YouTube and search up You Are Gold, We Are All Surviving Something, Stories That Unite Us, BTS, and you should be able to find it there. In this episode, we talk about very sensitive issues around race, equality, social justice. I would love it if you listen to it with an open heart, and if you start to hear something maybe that you don't agree with, you just take a deep breath and keep listening because we have such a wonderful transformational conversation about several instances in which Joshua himself and others were arrested, hurt in some way, or even executed, unfortunately, due to police misconduct. How can we rise up from these situations? How do we move forward? And I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Please feel free to DM me at my Instagram account at Barbie Heller, B-A-R-B-I-E-H-E-L-L-E-R. You can send me old-fashioned email to info at barbheller.com. If you haven't followed us yet, please do so on Spotify or iTunes. See one beautiful soul. And please follow us on Clubhouse. We have amazing conversations Mondays and Thursday nights right now at 8 p.m. Eastern time in the See One Beautiful Soul Club on Clubhouse. You can also find me on Clubhouse at Barbara Heller, all one word, lowercase letters. You can find out more about Josh at thejoshuasilverstein.com. He teaches amazing workshops, makes incredible content that's funny, touching, inspiring, and action-packed. You can also find out more about the camp that he mentions at kazfamilycamp.org. That is spelled C as in Charlie, A-Z as in zebra, familycamp.org. Hello, Joshua Silverstein. Hi, Barbara. Hello. How are you? It is such a pleasure and a joy to hang out with you. Oh, man. This- you want to say what, how we met? Let's talk about how we met. Yeah, the synagogue at a uh, diversity uh, anti-racism workshop. That you created and lead. 
that I created. In <laughs> Cynthia and I, who's my, my lovely lady, uh, we are doing a lot of that anti-racism stuff. And we are realizing how doing it in person is a whole nother thing than doing it through a Zoom. Doing stuff about anti-racism better in person because you're seeing everybody eye to eye and you're it's just you're in a room with people and you're having yes. a real experience versus on a computer screen. It's very different. And yet it's the new normal. So we have to adjust. I know because I also lead workshops that racism and everything that we have anxiety and sadness about comes up. I think the difference, honestly, if I could put it into words, is the heat in the room. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel that. It's like the it's it, it is the heat. It's the energy. It's like the the emotions Chemistry. building up and you feeling it and you're radiating it's fear or anger or or yeah. you know, something's coming out of you in that space and it and it kind of forces you vulnerable. And I think I've done well. Also been doing creative writing workshops since the pandemic started. I think I've been doing well about creating a safe space. The stuff that comes up for my students in those workshops are pretty great and pretty radical. It's so cool that I met you leading one of those workshops because we have so many things in common. Like we're artists and educators. Consider being an educator equally, if not more important than me being an artist. All my art is education. Like even when I'm yeah. always like, okay, well, what's the message here? You know, every time. Everything that I do creatively is meant to reveal or create dialogue or conversation around an area or topic that I find to be worthy. Toxic masculinity, gender deconstruction, mm. normalized oppression. I had a solo show that I was doing for a long time, several years ago. All the stuff in that show we're dealing with now. One woman came and she was from theater review company and she didn't get any of it. Mm -hmm. It soared over her head. The show is so heavy with identity stuff that happens when you grow up in America that we're kind of talking about right now. Black Lives Matter is resurging and what's happening is people are either getting upset because the movement is taking away the structure of white supremacy, which, which so many people have built their existence upon. When that gets taken away, you have people go, well, what do I do now? And then within the Black Lives Matter movement, we're having gender deconstruction conversations because uh, the LGBTQIA community is feeling left out of this movement. And so all these things are mm -hmm. happening. And so my show deals with every single one of those elements through my own personal experiences, which is one thing that I'm adamant about is I want to hear your story. So I'm very interested if, if in what would happen if I did the show again. Being in your class is a very powerful experience for me. It's so cool when you get to see someone who's similar to you because being out of the box like we are, it's challenging to go through life. It's a little lonely. Yeah. And then you see someone, you're like, oh my gosh, this person wants to make real change and their yeah. ego isn't wrapped up in how well it goes. No, like, no, not yeah. at all. I love movies and I love theater and I love acting and I love comedy and I love clothes. But I think the thing that I really nerd out about and, and have had more conversations than anything, even growing up, is like why people do what they do. Me too. Yeah, one of the things that, yeah, one of the things that I have really been excited about is revealing a lot of that. But it's hard for people to identify that stuff. The stuff we are dismantling or attempting to dismantle is so ingrained in our DNA. Mm -hmm. And I find having those conversations and, and watching people go, oh yeah, I like that. Oh, your questions are so awesome. Thank you. I, I always feel like you can tell a lot about a teacher by the questions they ask, not the, not the answers that you, know, you get rattled, whatever the question is. And you see that person raise their hand mm -hmm. and you see how honest that person is. 
there's a part of you seeing yourself in that person because we're all a reflection of each other. And what happens in the room when it's not on Zoom, notice that your blood temperature goes up and then you have the instant pheromone adrenaline war in the room and you get to walk up to that person if you have the courage to do so, which I did to like five people and have mm-hmm. a conversation. Mm-hmm. But when it's on Zoom and you're in a chat room, even if you do breakout sessions, it's just not the same. And congratulations, you figured out a great formula to ending racism in the moment. Actually, right now I'm doing Jam Camp is a youth camp that I'm involved in. I'm teaching creative writing, 14 kids that show up. I mean, they're young. These 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 kids are like elementary school to maybe middle school. I don't think any of them are in high school. Um, But they're young and they clearly are thinking about the stuff that's going on right now in our world. They are open to talking about it. And so I create these prompts that allow them to think about it and share. Sometimes kids just need that. They're like, I just need an avenue of expression that feels safe and feels a little guided because kids kids like to have the kids know that when the class is over, it's over and there's no room for them to like to, to procrastinate. And I don't give them a lot of time to write. So they have to get in there real quick and share as much as they can. Really, really cool to watch is they're reading it for the first time and going, huh, I said that. So let's talk a little bit about you. So you grew up in Los Angeles. If you guys have seen the You Are Gold video behind the scenes entitled, We Are All Surviving Something, Stories That Unite Us. But I had everyone do because there's nothing like truth shot in a non-reality show way. I handpicked friends of mine and colleagues of mine who I knew had a great story to tell. We shot this beautiful video during COVID. Joshua was one person I just couldn't wait to hang out with. And I didn't know his full story, but what we got was amazing. And the way he told it, I it's funny because you did two takes, that's it. And mm-hmm. I was worried about the first take with sound. So I had to do it twice. The first take was beautiful. I didn't have to do oh. any editing. It was just like, speak like an orator. You're like, and so <laughs> what happened was, and it's just like, you are gold. Literally, no, this is gold. Comedy gold, Jerry. So it was not, I mean, it's not funny, but it's kind yeah. of funny because you're everything you do is funny. And it's sometimes easier to talk about failure than it is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious about how you forgave those cops. You have this incredible Mm. story basically about getting arrested in your own home and Mm -hmm. because of the color of your skin. You happen to be mixed. Your mom is African-American, your dad's Jewish, right? Mm -hmm. So I just find everything about you fascinating, but that's Mm. like one of the first things. What's it like growing up in LA? My parents- really good at short questions. (laughs) So if you got a few hours, I'll get into it. So my (laughs) my parents were, are LA natives. My grandparents on both sides of my family moved to LA very, very early on in their lives. Uh, and so my, my my grandparents are also, I feel like, very LA in my mind, and they're all deceased. My grandparents on my father's side were very liberal and very a part of the Democratic meetings in her home, and she had politicians come in there in her house. I mean, she was like that woman. My grandfather was in the same path. And he he's, he was an architect. He helped build the LA Towers. At the time, they were the tallest buildings in LA. So my grandparents' footprint is all through LA, and it's so crazy because I'll meet people even now that are like, is your dad David Silverstein? Oh my God, I love your dad. And oh my, I knew your grandparents. And it's like, they're they're part of the thing. They went to LA high school. My, my, my parents were high school sweethearts. They married immediately when they were finished high school. 
my grandmother had their wedding in the synagogue on Wilshire. Wilshire Boulevard? Yeah. It was on Wilshire. I forgot the name. Yeah. Oh, Wilshire Yeah, Wilshire Boulevard. Yeah. (laughs) And my mother, when she was teaching at Crenshaw High School, when I was younger and she was taking her students to West Africa to get them in touch with their history and the, and, the, and the slave narrative where it all began, kind of give them some ground and roots of like where we come from. She, did, she took kids to the mother, motherland for like for over, over 14 years and I had gone with her on several trips until I went well, on my own. And so both of my parents are activists in their own way. My, my foundation, you know, all this need to be socially aware and this need to be socially involved it just was that was the thing even though they were a terrible couple they you know they were very much clear about what my values should be and i, and I pushed back of course because i was a teenager at one point but in high school i became that i was very much like how do we help our people um, me and my buddy at the time started our own or- organization called the Association of African American Students. And we were radical 15, 16 year olds who were trying to really have a conversation. I mean, I stopped listening to music that I felt was sexist and toxic when I was 15 years old. I was, I was alone, you know, because nobody was making that protest when they were that age, because that was all the music that was around. You know, like the 90s was like the critical era of like, we're going to share you sexually and all these things, you know, like that was like the pinnacle of this music culture. And, uh, and so we were like, we got to fight that. that. That paints the wrong message of who we are as a people and, and how do we love each other? And um, what are you supporting? And what products are you supporting? And these products, you know, does slave, this child labor, slave labor, all, all these things you were talking about in high school. Did your parents get divorced? Sorry to interrupt you. My parents got divorced when I was 11. And it was very, very, it was a weird time for me. They were so stuck in what they were dealing with that I don't think they recognized how hard I was handling it. And I wasn't even aware emotionally what I was feeling at the time because they, I just, I was like, cool, if they're not, if I get two homes, that mm. means more Hanukkah gifts and mm. more Christmas gifts. So I was 11 and I was pulling my hair out mm. and clapped and no one even said anything. So my mom got to be more her and my dad got to be more him. And I got to go to both houses and experience that. And so as a result, high school came around and I was like, fight the power. While I was like, fight the power, I would be in, in cars with friends and we get pulled over and we'd have to be on the curb, you know, on the ground. And it was all this like fear and anger. You know, when the cops took me out of my own home, you know, they arrested me out of my own house because I was not in school during school hours. And they thought that I was walking into a place that wasn't mine. The anger that I felt at the time was twofold. It was, I should have known better to, to open the door. I wish I knew my rights, which I did not know. I was, I was 15 years old, I didn't know my rights. I should have pressed charges because what they did was illegal. So it became anger and then I was just embarrassed and then I was just sad. I don't know that I've taken the time to forgive the officers, but what it has done for me created a whole feeling of how do we hold these people accountable and what needs to be in order so that they don't do it. Because at the time, my, my mom, you know, had to come get me from juvie. So she was just like, oh my God. And then my dad was like, why are you home? And I was like, I didn't want to go to school because I suck, I hate school. And so 
equally angry, but I think their first immediate instinct was to figure out what to do with their child. My mom had fear because she had grew up in LA and had experienced all the prejudice firsthand and was like, I don't want you on the same route. You're creating more opportunities to be arrested. And my dad was in vain. So we never talked about, it was later we like, we were like, oh, well they broke the law, but too much time had gone by and we couldn't really press charges. I think it was very clear for me, we're still not dealing with this problem. And, and I think as a result, I got deeper into social justice, but you, it's a great question. Like, how did you forgive him? I don't know that I have, I'm not as angry as I was obviously then. And it's not a story that I often reminisce about. I have, I have had the conversation more lately for obvious reasons, but I don't have the same anger and I am able to see the, the funniness in it. As a human being, I'm, I'm kind of comfortable with not letting it off the hook and being like, I'm gonna hold on to this because mm -hmm. this is part of my artistic work that I do that I love doing. And I also feel mm -hmm. like I don't want to forget. I want to, I want to maintain a certain level of emotional attachment to it because, you know, and you know, this as an actress as well, like the further removed you are from something, you begin to act versus feel it. From this Stanislavski message and, and uh, method and, uh, and, and- It's really more of a message than a method. I like <laughs> How to, how to reflect on emotions and go, okay, well, I may not remember the story, but I can, I know what it means to be angry and sad as I can act that. But I like having the connected tissue to the experience. So it feels like when I tell the story, I'm able to relive it in a way where I go, oh, this is what I felt. Like it wasn't just anger, it was, I didn't have any control. As a man at that time, one of my toxic masculine things was I needed to have control, but also as someone who wants his own autonomy, because it's my basic human right, I didn't even have that. These things wrapped up in it, and I need to be able to remember those feelings. Yeah. I think I think you hit on something so great, and thank you for being so raw and honest. I feel like a lot of people would just say, yeah, I forgave them and move on. No, I didn't. <laughs> I want to do some work with you if you'll let me. Yeah, of course, let's do it because I'm open to having an amazing transformative experience at any moment, and I know you are too. Is it possible that if we reframed it, you could remember the feelings, but still forgive? I think you're just really brave for even wanting to talk about it. Would God even let you, I should say God, you could say the universe, energy, supremeness in all of us. Science. You know science, science, <laughs> that spark. I mean, I think they're all the same. Science is God. I mean, just because you call it an arm, doesn't mm. make it any less of a miracle. It's like, yeah, there's blood and cells, but science is just the description of. I don't know if the universe would let you forget the feeling, but mm. I still think what I try to do in those moments when something is just so unjust, like I grew up in a house of domestic violence and you wouldn't know it necessarily because I'm, I'm gen generally pretty calm unless I'm triggered. And I've worked really hard on the way I frame things and think about things. And I, every morning I have a practice that I have to do in order to have like a good day, right? Because there's still so much toxicity in my blood that I don't even know about. And when I, when I do get triggered, like I was on the subway last year in New York City, I was living right outside the projects. God bless her, this mom, I could cry just thinking about her. She was underweight. Her son um, was crying. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, she had just taken him to soccer practice at the park. I lived right outside Central Park. Oh my God, it's like it happened yesterday. And it was just me and them in the subway and she was hitting him. Mm -hmm. And she kept saying to him, I got off of work to pick you up. Mm -hmm. And you hanging out with your friends. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not taking you to soccer anymore. Yeah. And I just lost it because I felt worse for her than him. Mm-hmm. Like, here's this kid being humiliated in the middle of the subway. <laughs> but it's more humiliating for her. She has like an hour every day to pick up her son from soccer practice and have like one conversation with him until she has to go to the night shift or whatever the hell she does so she can put some sort of food on the table. And she's jealous that he has like a moment of like fun. And it's so obvious what's going on. She's just resentful and working her ass off. And, but I was so triggered, right? Yeah. And I think what I do in those moments, instead of being angry at the mom, because I had, I had a mom and a dad like, right? Mm-hmm. They were resentful when I showed freedom because they weren't free. Yeah. I just really dig deep and I, I put my hands up because I'm not going to like scream at her or call the cops. Like that's going to cause a whole other issue. I just right. put my hands up in that moment and I prayed and I said, please, God, give, give her compassion right now. Like just send her love, send her respect, send her sure. dignity so she can do the same for her son. And I remember just standing there. And the reason why I think I came up with that, and who knows if it was the right thing to do. Maybe there's people listening to me right now saying, you should have called the cops. How could you not stand in the middle? I don't know. I just, I felt like my moment was to go spiritual and to, to do what like my friends, Derek and Cece, who were on this podcast would do. They, they drive around the projects of St. Louis, Missouri, and they pray for the projects in the car. They're big Christians. They're amazing people. There's something to that. So I'm saying to you, like, is it possible you could say to yourself, what would Gandhi do? Like, what would Dr. King do in this moment? I I would see Gandhi as like looking at those cops, even, I mean, you'd have to be a really elevated teenager, but to just be with the moment, like be in that sort of Anne Frankness, seeing them as the teachers in your life so that you could run a workshop one day and change a million people's minds. Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. if you could see the beauty in you, Joshua Silverstein, were being called to tell that story over and over again because no one can tell it the way you can, then as sick as this sounds, it's actually a gift that those people were there. So you could be one of the millions that it's happening to, but share it the way you could 20 years later. Does that? I mean, mean? 100%. You're making me think stuff that I, everything we are is training. Everything, every little bit of it, no matter what our religion or spiritual practices, I, I believe that everything we are is training. I'm watching my son. He's 10 months old now. Uh, He'll be 11 months in like a few more days. He is very curious, observant. He's got a very free spirit. He has fallen down so many times now. And I tell you, being a parent, when your kid falls down, there's there's so much like I need to accept this is okay. He's fine. <laughs> you check him out. You're like, all right, no bleeding, no concussion. All right, it's okay. He's fine. He's staying. Not gonna die. Great. I have to accept on some basic level they're gonna be fine. And it is possible they may not be fine. Cool. Like that most people don't talk about. I have a daughter who's seven. I have a son who's twelve, and a son who's ten months. Lila's my daughter's name, and she's she's self teaching herself how to skateboard, which is I can't skateboard. You know, her mom can't, and we're watching her take off down the block. I have to know that the likelihood of a car coming around the corner too fast and jumping the curb. It could take her out, and I and that's and it's a possibility. 
It's like a 1.0, whatever, whatever, but it's possible, right? And I could knowingly go, nope, she's fine, but I don't have power over that. I have to relinquish control over her life and let her feel like she has freedom, but also give her the guidance to make the right choices when I'm not there or mom's not there to be in safe situations. From what I learned from my favorite rabbis, that's God. Yeah. Because yeah. we're all the kids. Like you say you have a 10-month-old, a 7-year-old, and a 12-year-old. Well, God has Josh, who's this age, and Barb's this, you know, it's all all the children, right? And so imagine how God feels giving us a tiny bit of freedom of control, right? Because so much of it seems like it's like this divine plan. I mean, I how I met you, I mean, it's crazy. Like, it's yeah. all synchronicity, and that to me is just kind of God or whatever universe. But 100%. it's like that little bit of control that we have that you just described mm -hmm. it, it's like reflections of reflection i gave you the grand canyon and mm -hmm. you guys are throwing plastic straws in the ocean like i gave yeah. you the freedom to have babies and you're throwing them in garbage cans i gave you so yeah. many things i gave you cars i gave you the idea for a car and gas and all, all these resources and and you have four per family and and you're driving drunk i, I you know yeah, like we're not doing it right <laughs> for sure and, well and, we're doing some things right because i'm yeah. going to stare at you right now through technology but <laughs> we wouldn't even be doing this if there hadn't been a pandemic that was, was out of control so many other things mm -hmm. and thank god we have a pandemic for so mm -hmm. many reasons because everyone's finally taking shabbat and yeah. having to be forced to think about their choices so we can have a new normal because I don't want to go back to what the rushing around. I, no. I was running around the other day for the first time months. I was late for a Zoom call and I was like, what is this feeling? Well, you know, like in Wicked, <laughs> what is this feeling? I'm rushing. So taking in what you said and, and um, applying it to this, Lila was, I think she was six. She would just kind of wear underwear and a shirt. But before that, she was like, I'm wearing underwear and nothing else. We want her to feel good in her body. We want her to not judge herself. And so she was walking around the house for years like that. And because uh, I, I walk around the house like that, and so does so I'm my son who does the same thing. And um, so everyone's kind of like, I'm underwear. But something happened where she wanted to go outside in the front. I, time slowed down and I went through all these things. So I was like, I was like, oh my God, get in the house. But I didn't say that, I just said, Lila. And then every, my thoughts kind of rushed through. And I was like, okay, why am I saying get in the house? I'm saying get in the house because I'm scared that a pedophile is going to see her was someone like kidnaps her and all these things and like oh i don't want that attention and then i was like okay but wait pedophilia happens across the board with children regardless of what they're wearing right mm -hmm. like women are raped in the alley from wearing sweats and a t-shirt the the attire has no statistical application to kids being raped or women being abused so it doesn't matter what she's wearing. And by screaming at her and saying, get in the house, I am feeding into the narrative that men have created, which is, well, she wore that, and that's what she, that's why, that's why that happened to her, right? So I had all this information that was downloading into my body before I told her what to do. And so it came out, Lila, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> she was like, I'm waiting for mom. Okay. And I had to walk back in the house and just be like, I can't input my own judgment and and experience into this into into her narrative i need to let her live her own journey without me 
creating fear for her. But to your story, like, there are things that happen in our lives that give us inclinations that we may need more information, that give uh, that, that that propel us to be civil servants or conduits of truth or um, alternative thinking that is maybe more healthy. And so I definitely appreciate that I am who I am and I get to be this vehicle for other people. So I definitely feel that. Maybe I just interpret forgiveness differently than most people because I am grateful for who I am mm -hmm. to, to a degree. I've worked to do, but I'm grateful for... Um, <laughs> The, the, the millions and millions of stories I've picked up along the way because they inform my art. Like, I love the platform I get when I get it. I studied visual art. I love that I ended up really having this great need to create space for people and to create in general. I accept that it happened and I'm not necessarily mad that it happened anymore. But I definitely have chosen to hold on to a level. While I do accept that, like, you know, the LAPD's roots are in slave catchers, right? Like, that's where policing started. It was, it was yo, my, my property ran off. Go get my property. And so yep. it was like, I'm going to go grab this person. So that's, our, that's the police basic, basic uh, foundation. That's their bedrock, right? And so... Of course they are who they are because there's never been a real reason to shift that. So it's that's still in the train. Like I was watching some police training recently and this, the gentleman that was training them was like, you're at war. And <laughs> when you go out there, you are fighting a war. No, if you're fighting a war, you're fighting us. You know, And, and, and so, so many police have war consciousness so they show up to a situation where this is the enemy and i have to oppress them and destroy them because i am the hero i didn't know that it's rooted in i gotta go get this dude's property but what if we could take a step back i mean it sounds like you have a new opportunity for yourself that you could actually walk into police trainings yeah. and shift them um, yeah Ooh. <laughs> because i think like i only have the jewish context and a few other religions that i've studied in depth but the one i've studied the most is judaism which i love and i love that it's all about law like i love that we have a talmud that has like i would say it's like facebook there's a status like a law and then there's like all these comments and there's no emojis but there's different font people you know writing around it no i don't i don't think that's what you know this is exactly what moses and god put together for us in terms of like how to slay an animal we should actually be kind to the animal this is how we should do it and there should be no pain if you're going to eat it, it has to look like this and it has to be a full, whatever it is, fully ripe. And that's just animals. Sorry for all the vegans listening. But like so many things we can do in terms of ethical behavior, like you and I love to talk about. We know that pedophilia is just wrong. Mm -hmm. But the only reason we know that is because there is something that's been transmitted over time that that's just not what you do. It should be consensual. It should hopefully be, should be a loving mm -hmm. gift that's between two consenting partners of a certain age and so you can appreciate it in a mature, beautiful way. I 100% agree. Possibly because of the work that I've done, I understand that the person who is titled, titled a pedophile is only doing what they know. Addiction and a problem. There's a real mental deficiency, right? There's right. a real mental illness involved. The you cycle that someone probably did it to them. Right. And then there's that, like there's, there's the victimization of themselves and they just 
They're like, this is how I show love. This is how I... But there are three TED Talks right now saying it's okay because of what you're saying. I don't want to justify that behavior. No, I'd like to live in a world where that does not exist. And in order to right. do that, what I'm, the whole goal of me sharing all that, and I don't mean to cut you off, is I, no, I totally no. get that there's a reason for it. It's not like right. the person... I don't think anyone's born evil. I think that there is a little bit of evil inside of all of us that we always have to overcome, whether it's telling ourselves we're bad and we're not worthy all the way yeah. through Hitler. Even, you know? even Satan was an angel first. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think these are really positive constructs that we need in order to understand the world we live in. Otherwise, it's just chaos. Like We're so evolved that when we walk down the street, if God forbid someone sees another person harming another person, generally they would go, oh boy, what do I do here? How can I help? Because we are just conditioned, just like we have conditions of other things, say what you will. There's an element of if someone watches a murder scene, they go and do something about it. I don't know any murderers, you know, but back in the day, a couple thousand years ago, maybe that was like a normal, you have chicken, I want chicken. And that's not me doing a Persian accent. That's like literally like a, the (laughs) thought bubble of like a, someone who's a cave person. Yeah. They just, they kill because they want. Why am I saying this? Because fear is that if we don't have any police or law, good fences make good neighbors, right? We, we need some sort of boundaries and boundaries are important and they're actually really good. If you could see those cops, all they know, maybe if there was a Joshua Silverstein in their training who said to them, it's not that you're at war with the person. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely not that you're at war with a group of people that look like this. Mm-hmm. You are at war with their moment of temporary insanity that causes them to rape, kill, pillage, go into a house that's not there. They're at war with the structure that has only given space for this to exist. I have done work around my own uh, biases against police officers. There was a protest a month ago, so we could stand at our bedroom window and like watch them walk. At the same time, uh, I have ring around my property, so I have ring in the alley, and, you know, so I can see everything. We watched in the alley on a replay, uh, we got a notification, of a man dragging his girlfriend down the alley, her shirt rising up. Like she's just, she's getting abused right now. I, we watched them fighting. With Ring, you catch it after sometimes. And, um, and so we caught it after the fact. Oh, well, we got to deal with this. We got to call the police. While police were shooting rubber bullets at non-violent protesters, we were calling the police to deal with this Domestic abuse, yeah, like a real thing. <laughs> the officers came in and they were my home. We were talking about it. I showed them the video. I gave them the video. So did you feel safe when you were sitting <laughs> with the officers then? When they arrived, because of the work I've done, I know that if show up defensively when an officer's in my presence, then they they are triggered to assume I'm hiding because they don't know. Oh, for 400 years we've been oppressing them, and that's in his DNA. And of course, his reaction is to protect himself because why would mm. he not? right they don't they don't think like that so i have to be so hyper aware of myself to be like am i showing up in a way right in this moment that would give them permission to think that i'm a threat so i have to do that mental acrobatic stunt in my mind and in my heart and in my body and in my you know in my dna like hey guys come on in and that's uncomfortable historical dna i don't have the experience of these guys are generally here to help me 
I have the experience of these guys are generally here to take away my autonomy. We've had to do this several times living here because we've caught um, people who are trying to burn down trees in the alley, like trying, to, trying to take away property. People are bored now and they got more time and so these things are happening. Most alleys are spaces where people do mischievous stuff because they think no one's watching. But they, they all do the same thing. They, they show up to your house with their hands in their gun, ready. And so my thought was not, do I not feel safe? My thought was, man, I really wish you guys had a different way of handling stuff so that I know when you walk in my house, your initial reaction is not, am I, am I walking into a dangerous situation? My son is, has been camping in the backyard and we have our house alarmed. So I gave him a key to disarm the alarm whenever he has to go back in the house. And so he did something where he disarm the house but he also trigger the alarm silently he hit the panic button we're sleeping my son's in the bathroom and i'm like what's the problem and they go you're there's an alarm going off and i go oh really i'm in my underwear uh is anyone in the house right now and i'm like just my kids and 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 my wife and that's it we're, we're all sleeping and they're like oh okay and i was like no nah, my son came in the house recently he might have hit the alarm back i had to go back in time and tell, yep, you know, 15 year old Joshua to be like, hey, relax. Yep. Like, they're not here to attack you. They're just coming in and they're they're assuming that something bad's happening because that's their job. But also, I go back to the Ahmad Arbery who was just jogging and mm. had jogged through mm. a construction site previously. And so there was, he was on camera. And so there was this permission to go out and hunt this young black man and murder him. And I go back to the young black man who was in his car and falling asleep at a Taco Bell drive-through. And the first cop arrived and was fine and calm. And then the second cop arrived and he was like, we're arresting you. And he was like, why? I'll go home right now. I'm not doing anything wrong. And he freaked out and grabbed the cop's taser and ran off. And then they shot him. They executed him for what he had done. And and I go back to George Floyd, who he died because some other officer deemed him to have uh, no value in life. And so I have all of these historical things that are affecting my people. I am very aware of and have been aware of for, for many, many, many years. I still live in a society where I have to be smart and I have to be aware of all the history. And so I accept, 100% accept that the current systems of authority in our nation when it comes to police, all the same training I have to defend, whatever. And I accept that. That's their training. That's that's who they are. I mean, shoot, the level of toxic masculinity that are, that is existing right. for why a man <laughs> wants to be an officer to begin with, no one's talking about. Like, <laughs> why do you have the impulse to be a police because I want to control other people, you know, because I didn't have control as a kid or I get high off the off of feeling like I'm a, a person in power. I want that power. Totally. You know? That's and, what that's why I made you our goal to see the officer say, I'm actually really scared. And that's that's why I'm doing this job because I'm trying to get some sort of control in life. And also it could just be a cop that's actually a good person that just wants justice and wants to take people who are doing the wrong thing and 
hopefully rehabilitate them, which is really what I think their jobs are. Yeah. Well, their and job is to make things safe, create a safe space and de-escalate, right? Their job yeah. is to serve and protect. You're hitting on the most important thing, which is ego. Yeah. We can't actually make safe spaces when there's ego. Yeah. Even when you're catching someone doing the wrong thing, in order to make things safe, you'd actually have to bring in an energy that's so powerful, right? To de-escalate the, the negativity. I mean, people aren't ever doing, hopefully, things that are wrong without an energy of, my life is so bad, I have to change it, right? Mm -hmm. They would ne no one's feeling like, oh, I'm so peaceful. Everything's great. I think I'm going to go rob a liquor store and kill yeah. someone mm -hmm. as I do it. Like, Because well, everyone has an ego. Everyone yeah. has an id. And I think also, like, how do I use my ego to serve my highest self? Right? So it's like, how do we use the ego to serve us let, versus us serving our ego? And, and what I really wanted to get, they're going to be people like you and I right now who can have what's called an actual conversation. There's space for all of me and there's space for all of you. There's space for my ego and there's space for my beauty and my humility and wanting to share and listen, right? I experienced something during the riots where I put out a video and I was crying and I said, I am hurting so much today and mostly for the people that are rioting, not the protesters. I'm, I'm hurting for the people that are unconsciously going into Louis Vuitton, smashing windows, taking people's jobs away, even if they're wealthy, and causing a knock in the economy that wasn't going to be there until they did that. And sure. someone got mad at me and wrote a comment. You're a well-meaning white person, which I took as an insult because I don't consider myself white because I'm Jewish. I'm 100% yeah. Russian Jew. My mm -hmm. people have been through the worst that we just get used to, no one really cares. Because we're only less than 1% of the world, most people don't even understand the ramifications and the extent of anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. You know, can you give us one week? Can you give us one month, one year, so we can tell our story? And I immediately wrote, I didn't delete it, I didn't block her, I just said like, you know, my comment back was, thank you so much for this comment. Can we, I, I'm gonna message you now. And I said, can we get together on Zoom? Can we talk? I'd love to talk to you. You know, this is so important because I wanted her to know who I really am. Obviously she saw it and saw something else that I don't see in myself and, you know, saw me as a well-meaning white Karen idiot or whatever. I mean, this judgment was so thick in her comments. Josh, you have such an amazing heart. You were born with an amazing heart triple blessed, but into at least three minorities, you have the ability and the capacity to not just share truth, but hear it beneath everyone's ego. The whole reason I'm making this podcast is because I would love it if everyone could approach every moment of wrongdoing with, this is an opportunity for growth. Sure. If you could go back to that 15, 15 year old self mm -hmm. when you got arrested. I mean, I think it was multiple times, right? Or was it just one oh, time you got times. arrested in your house? Several times. I got, I got arrested once in my house, okay. uh, but I got several <laughs> arrested several times leaving my house trying to get to school. Yeah. yeah. So can you go back to that teenage boy, set the scene again, take a deep breath, look at that officer. I would, if you were in my class, I would go through this whole meditation with you and really, really correct mm. the correctional officer, really correct your ego in that moment, as hard as it would be. And just see him, assuming they were all men and probably mm. white men mm. as a soul who is just doing what they know. And if you could give them the energy of compassion, 
even though they're doing something so wrong to you, could that change the whole makeup of the world? Because this girl that like attacked me, and the reason I brought it up is because more than what happened in the past, I'm actually worried about the future continuing. Like, look at South Africa. Right. It's a mess because of reverse discrimination, which I hate that term, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like, they were persecuted way beyond the amount that we have been here. I mean, I went to South Africa. I couldn't believe the sheer racism happening in the streets. And yet, finally, a black man takes power. And what does he do with it? He's like a thug. He's like seriously running it into the ground. So how do we become more like Dr. King and Gandhi and and Frank? And Well, yeah, let me speak to that. We as an oppressed group in in a country that we were taken to and stripped of culture and stripped of identity and then pinned against each other for enjoyment of slave owner in those 400 years we've never had space and the freedom to process to heal to have a conversation to express our anger and outrage we've never ever had that space we would there would be moments that surging for a second and then what would happen uh, the leader spearheading that would get assassinated you know they killed malcolm they killed martin so in all of our historical movements yeah they have been thwarted by oppression and so even in spaces where we're like finally our voice will be heard it's no it gets squashed and so what you're experiencing now as someone who is perceived to be white Um, who who at the very least adds to the white backdrop of your appearances. There is this feeling. Black Lives Matter has created a movement that has been bigger than anything we've ever experienced in our country because it's worldwide. People are protesting for our value worldwide. Not just our safety, not just, you know, our existence, but our basic human value. And so this really is for a lot of black people about maybe I can be heard now. Maybe I can feel like what I'm feeling has some validity. We grew up wanting to talk about slavery, wanting to talk about the oppression. And we were told, well, that was in the past. It doesn't matter anymore. Suppressed long enough. And then you're like, okay, go. You're like, well, here it is on social media, which is already problematic because it's really one-sided when we had like blackout tuesday and people were putting up black squares i was like that's great the way the social media algorithm works is with the hashtags the hashtags are search engines so if you hashtag black lives matter and how and and a a tier black square versus mm. another black person who's like hashtag black lives matter and then uh, then and then their story about why black lives matter mm. well if all these white people are putting up black squares then once again what's being amplified is white voices not black voices because the 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 search engine is looking for <sighs> black lives matter and being like oh black squares oh one person said um i'm having a hard time cool but black squares and so i was like hey if you identify as white or you are seen as white and you are posting your story then you are taking the space away from me as a black man to amplify my own voice so if you if you want to talk about what it's like for you 
this ain't the time right. because it has been a safe space for you to tell your story for 400 years. It's never been safe for us to do it. And how do you amplify someone's voice by taking the space and amplifying your own? These are hard conversations. You felt what you felt. And that's the thing that the very first feeling that I have about anybody is I want to make sure people feel safe enough to feel what they feel. Their mm. feelings may not necessarily be the correct thing to have, and they may <laughs> be interpreting the situation in a completely different uh, manner than they should, but you've got to be able to go, this is what I feel, yeah. and you've got to feel, be able to be, this is how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm talk. My, I have a lot of toxic anger that I, that's been a part of my narrative for a long time. I've, been, I've, I've shown up uh, abusively in relationships because of that anger, mm. and that anger stems from feeling like I wasn't hurt as a child and wanted to be heard and, and identifying love as a space to be heard and not feeling that and that's on my own. And so I've had to really look at that and go, why am I allowing myself to be triggered this way? But so much of my narrative is yelling. You, you felt some way about what was going on and another person had the reaction of like, hey, what you're saying is taking away Right. from what I'm feeling. So although your intentions are good, you're not giving me the space to have this experience. And while I agree with you, I feel like the rioting was something else. Like there was the protesting and then there was the rioting. And I felt like number one, it was so mucky because, murky because number one, there were rioters who were countering the movement and there were white rioters who were opportunistic Oh yeah. Uh, we're like, I'm just gonna get some. Put free this swag. on my Facebook. People like me again. Yeah, yeah, or whatever. I'm and, so and, woke. And is my agenda to be heard, or is my agenda to listen? You had a great intention about expressing what you felt, right. <laughs> and then someone was like, "Hey, you don't understand." And maybe they were saying, "Hey, just give me a moment to to hear me out." And I don't want a response, and I don't want, you know, I want to feel like my voice matters right now because I haven't felt that ever. I love dialogue. I love conversation. I, one of the things that I have really worked hard on is letting go of my agenda, especially with kids. I'll show up in a workshop yep, and me a too. kid <laughs> say something. And I'm like, all right, we're there. New whatever class. I plan, yeah, whatever I plan, doesn't matter anymore. You, because this you, one kid, if I can get through yeah. this one kid, everyone's going to win. A kid will say something that echoes trauma. I need to keep yep. making space for this story to come out. Sometimes it doesn't matter that I want to have a conversation. Am I, am I showing up in a way that is not about me? The, the point I'm trying to make is that when that woman told me to cancel myself because she needed to be heard that day, all I heard was an opportunity for, oh, you didn't get the memo, but she said, can, you, can we talk about this in eight months? And here's my agenda of what you need to watch. She has her own anger that's seething. It's so much to ask of a person like, oh, this is how you need to love me. This is how you need to tell me, even though I don't know you. And then we can talk as opposed to, I see you really trying very hard. Every moment you have the power, not Trump, not the Congress, not Senate. You, Joshua, have the, the power right now to make effective change by saying, how do I control myself in this moment and love? Seriously, do the thing that that person in front of me is not doing. And it's so hard. It's so hard when you're in the moment and you get triggered and you, you, like you have this 400 year of oppression story, which is true. It's a true story. 
But if we walk around with it and we're not trying to make a new story, you know what I'm saying? You can't really be doing both things at the same time. Yes, you can, you can teach classes in it and you can inform. And please, please create a curriculum with Naomi Ackerman and go out there and, and, and change these cops because we need you. I, I mean, if, if there's one thing, I'm taking away so many things from today's episode with you, but the biggest one I'm going to light a fire under your butt to do is go out and teach some cops how to love. Because you really cannot, if it, I really believe that being a police officer, at least today, should be, how do I love the person in front of me? So much yeah. so that I created a new safe space for and it sounds well, it needs- really hunky dory and it sounds like, oh, that'll never happen because but anytime someone says, No, that'll never happen and that that's not real, then you're just you're prolonging the narrative. I don't want that narrative yeah. anymore. Yeah. My my I don't use the I'll never that'll never 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 happen narrative. I feel like that like I agree with you. Like if you keep saying never, 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 then it never will happen. So you have to say this this is what I want. This is how I'm going to make it happen. I mean, it, whatever it is, love, peace, uh, humanity, honky-dory, because it seems unattainable and radical. And we need that. There may be an opportunity for me to go out and teach police officers how to be more compassionate. If there is anyone who has a right to do it. <laughs> I would love it. When uh, segregation laws were lifted, there was no dialogue. There was no conversation. It's like, oh, and you're back. And, and that's, and, and that's and, what happened in South Africa, too. Yeah. Come on in. You're like, I'm broken. I don't even know how to come on and in. And I'm you know? broke because you took all my money for 400 yeah, days. Exactly. And I so, I mean, generation, yeah, generational wealth, reparations, like, we're still battling all of this. And a lot of it stems from, do you hear that I'm hurting? And also, a lot of it stems mm. from, um, do you, do I even know I'm hurting? And, right. and because no. so much of our narrative is, I'm not even allowed to hurt because if I'm hurting, I'm weak, you know? And so there's still so much of that that needs to be. Oh, not okay. Yeah. 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 And so I feel like for me, at least the first thing is to acknowledge trauma, to acknowledge pain, to acknowledge the suffering so that we can, we can all climb out of it. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be someone who, has been having these kind of conversations from day one. So my process- Somewhere people are processing. And somewhere people are given the space to do it. And and in some places people are like, I'm not there anymore, but that's minority. And then, and for most of us, it's not the case. And we live in a nation where like only 14% of the population is African-American or black or identifies as black. And in a, and so there's there are pockets of this nation where there are white people who are never even exposed to sure. black people who are controlling the black agenda, who are mm. still in charge of the freedoms that we get to experience. Generational wealth is something that's going to need that we were going to need to survive. But in order to contain it, we're going to need proximity to whiteness to give it up for a second you know and, each that, other. and that's yeah and that's <laughs> yeah how that, do we do it how do we yeah. love when we've been taught to hate you're right and so a lot of that is on I both gotta, sides like, whatever yeah that gotta give people the space to be like all right where are you and why and yes. i'm gonna hear it and validate it and acknowledge it and i think for me in regard like going back to like loving the officers i think i 
I love the human being, right? I don't love the system. And I think and you don't for love me, their behavior in that I moment. Behavior. That? I think for me, I will never forgive the system that was created to be hateful and oppressive. Right. And I will never love the system. But I will see the human being. And, and when, when officers approach my door, that's what I try to connect to. It's like, hey, you're human, I'm human. Let's so create a let's, new thing. Let's be yeah. human together. Well, I am so glad I got to talk to you. Yeah. You're incredible. I feel like I could talk to you for another 10 hours. Okay. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Here are some nuggets of wisdom that I found by talking to the great Joshua Silverstein. Is it possible that if we reframed it, can we remember a feeling, but also completely forgive? Joshua says, everything we are, everything we experience is training. He also alludes to the idea that being a parent, when your kids fall down, you absolutely have to just accept that they are going to be okay and let go. If we have no police system, if we have no laws, what is going to fly? How do we keep ourselves safe? How do we condemn certain behaviors, but not the people who do them? For some, when they get arrested by a cop or accosted by a cop, they have 400 years of DNA cells that make them feel like they immediately have to protect themselves. Josh says that for years, his first reaction when he sees a cop is, I have to talk myself down from the ledge that is telling me these guys are not here to help me, but they're here to take me down. Josh wishes that when cops approach the scene of a crime, they enter with, we're here to help and assume the best of everyone who is standing here. The intention and objective of someone who is in law enforcement as a career should be to serve and protect and create safe spaces and de-escalate potentially powerful violent situations. For hundreds of years, there are many black Americans who feel that they have never had the space for their voices to be heard, to repair, to move on, instead of having their voices be thwarted. The Black Lives Matter movement or concept is worldwide. The idea that basic human rights for all is finally important, it seems, to everyone. So there is a segment of the population that feels maybe I can be actually heard now. Maybe slavery can be talked about now for longer than just a few moments. There were no conversations after segregation laws were lifted in the United States, but we can have those conversations now and hopefully with someone as compassionate, open, and loving as Josh. Joshua said so astutely, many people are walking around with this idea inside of them, even if subconsciously. Do you hear that I am hurting? Do you care that I am hurting? Do you even know that I am hurting? Am I allowed to even hurt? And if I'm hurting, does that make me weak? We must acknowledge pain and trauma so we can all climb out of it and move forward. Generational wealth, it seems that we need to rely on right now, but how do we rely on others? How do we dole out that money and still make a space for change. We have the power at every moment to make massive change. I'm going to say it again. We all have the power at every single moment to make massive change. Will we choose to do that or stay in anger, in ego, in the past, in history? How are we going to approach our new moments to love and do the thing that perhaps the person right in front of you can't do? We really can't be doing both things at once, hating, feeling rage and anger, even if it's justified and also unconditionally loving. In order to unconditionally love another and promote that way of being, you have to be that. You can't put out your arms and say, I want 
you to unconditionally love me if you have conditions on that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'd love to hear what you think. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode can inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautiful soul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.